1: I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God." This year's midterm election is vital to the continued existence of America. I know you hear that every election cycle from various pundits, but not me. You're hearing it from me this year, though, because it's true. You probably won't believe this, but I had a priest tell me the other day that it's better to leave the laity in their ignorance of Catholic teaching so they can have a better chance at going to heaven. What? The Catholic Church clearly teaches that a Catholic's ignorance of the faith is an evil, a privation, that the human mind created in God's image is made to know truth. I can't judge the state of this priest's soul, but I can judge what he told me. What he said implies that he really doesn't care about the souls of his parishioners. Fortunately, I can know that faithful priests aren't that way. Jesus established the Catholic Church for one reason and one reason only, so we'd have a chance to go to heaven, a chance to become saints. As I heard a local priest say in a homily a while back, if you don't want to become a saint, why on earth are you a Catholic? Since at least 95% of Catholics neither know nor understand the Catholic faith, a chance to become a saint isn't possible for them conscientious priests and devoted laity naturally want to help parishioners do that. Well, I can help you with that. Introducing the What We Believe, Why We Believe It Bulletin Inserts. Endorsed by Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, each of these inserts teaches a thumbnail catechism lesson. When parishioners begin to get involved, they'll get many more benefits besides, and at a cost of only $19.95 a month but you won't start out paying that because I wanna give you a three month subscription free of charge just to try it out. Take 11 minutes to watch the video fully explaining it by clicking the link in my show notes that says, six pack system bulletin inserts to learn more. A lot of lay people get a subscription for their parish as a way to support the parish without giving the bishop any of their money. To learn more, Click on the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts. It just requires 11 minutes of your time. The first thing I want to do is remind you to send me your questions for Bishop Strickland. We're running low on questions. This is a wonderful opportunity to ask a bishop what you've often thought about asking. So send me your questions. Also, don't forget to get your copy of How Your Family Can Survive When Society Collapses. Society is collapsing all around us, and you've got to begin preparations to protect your family now. So get How Your Family Can Survive When Society Collapses from the Joe Stuff tab at cantankerouscatholic.com. Finally, remember to join in the fight to save the Catholic Church by sharing the Catholic faith in its fullness with other Catholics by joining the Marian Catechist Apostolate and or getting your copies of Secrets of the Catholic Faith and the Lay Evangelist Handbook. The links are in the show notes. I originally planned to tell you about everything God has been doing in my life since I asked St. Michael the Archangel to make me a warrior like him, but then I realized this is the last episode before the midterm elections. Consequently, I've decided to talk about the election this week, then publish an episode called The Making of a Warrior next week. Next week, I'll challenge you to become a warrior, but this week we're going to talk about some things that no pundit will tell you about the midterm elections. I want to read 10 statements from official documents, both online and hard copy, for your considerations. 1. Our philosophy supports the strict separation of church and state rather than a competing morass of religious pluralism. 2. We sanction any fetish or deviation which will enhance your sex life, so long as it involves no one who does not wish to be involved. 3. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. 4. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. 5. If churches were taxed for all their income and property, the national debt would be wiped out as quickly. 6. Consistent with our tenets, which call for bodily autonomy and acting in accordance with best scientific evidence, we object to many of the restrictions that states have enacted that interfere with abortion access. 7. We fully accept all forms of human sexual expression between consenting adults. Eight. We support the legalization of gay marriage. Nine. We have supported transgenderism since nineteen sixty six. Ten. Homosexuality is promoted as the norm in society, not the exception. Who do you think these statements come from? Democrats are very publicly and aggressively assertive in the promotion of these ten statements, so they sound like they came from the Democratic Party, don't they? Well, if you think they're from the Democrat Party platform, think again. All ten of the statements I just read to you aren't from the Democrat Party platform, but rather from the various satanic religion and their inherents. Groups such as the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple made the ten statements I just read, and many of them were made before the Democrat Party ever embraced these ideologies. Indeed, some of these statements are verbatim copied in the Democrat Party platforms. Let's think about this logically for a moment. Hmm, I'm a Catholic. I believe in God and His Catholic Church, as well as Satan being his enemy. I'm also a pro-life Democrat. However, the Democrat Party stands for abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, and a host of other things the Catholic Church condemns as sinful against God and destructive to society. And I just found out from Joe Sixpack that Satanists support the same things as the Democrat Party, some of them long before the party did. What should I do? I know. I'll just be a hypocrite and continue to vote Democrat so that I can take a grease slide to hell. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. The bottom line here, one that all but a small handful of bishops are too cowardly to tell you, is that it's a mortal sin to vote Democrat, period. That's not an opinion, but a fact. I don't care if you're voting for a Democrat who's running for a small village town council or the president of the United States. When you vote Democrat, you're voting to support their satanic agenda. The more elections they win, the more they're emboldened. Our responsibility as Catholics is to fight evil, not embolden it. Many Catholics think that the Catholic Church needs to catch up with the times and change its teachings on things like homosexuality and same-sex marriage. I was having a conversation with Bishop Strickland the other day. He rightly pointed out the Catholic truth can't be changed on the basis of public opinion, that it can't be changed at all. The church can change things like how the various liturgies can be performed or when feast days are celebrated or even canon law, but she can never change her moral laws. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is God, the second person of the blessed trinity. Because Jesus Christ never changes, his laws and truth can never change. The Catholic Church is the guardian of those laws and truths, even if the current men in the hierarchy do a terrible job of it. Therefore, it's not possible to change any of the Catholic truths one iota. In fact, the Catholic Church has consistently taught the very same things for 2,000 years. So if you mistakenly think the Catholic Church needs to catch up with the current culture, you're wrong. The Democrat Party and wicked Catholics like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi lead Catholic voters to believe they're Catholics in good standing. They aren't. In the 1983 Code of Canon Law, nine sins carry the penalty of automatic excommunication. Abortion, its promotion, or participation is in Canon 1398. Apostasy, heresy, and schism in Canon 1364 violating a sacred species in 1367, physically attacking the Pope in Canon 1370, a priest sacramentally absolving an accomplice in a sexual sin in Canon 1378, consecrating a bishop without authorization in 1382, and directly violating the seal of confession in Canon 1388. Bad Catholic politicians such as Pelosi and Biden are already excommunicated, in other words, not Catholic at all, because of three of the nine reasons there is automatic excommunication the promotion of abortion, heresy, and violating the sacred species. Pelosi and Biden and other so-called Catholic politicians talk about how they're devout Catholics, and the Pope and USCCB bishops perpetuate their lie, but the bottom line is they aren't Catholics at all because they've been automatically excommunicated. This applies to all politicians who call themselves Catholic, even if they personally reject one or all of the immorality promoted by the Democrat Party because they promote them by being Democrats. So what does that mean to you? If you vote for any Democrat politician claiming to be a Catholic, you're automatically excommunicated. But Joe, I'm not promoting abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, sexual perversion, or any of the other things you mentioned. Yeah, you are. When you vote for a Democrat, you promote all of the things that the Democrat Party promotes. Furthermore, you promote the satanic positions of the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple because much of the Democrat Party platform comes directly from those two organizations. In Mark 3.25, Jesus said, And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Voting Democrat, while claiming to be a Catholic, divides your house, and Satan is the dominant winner. Do you really want to stand before God in judgment when you die after choosing his chief enemy? If you can't vote for any candidate other than a Democrat, then don't vote at all. This isn't so much a political issue as it is a spiritual issue. Those of you who are listening to this and intend to vote Democrat, wake up! I'm not trying to get you to vote Republican. I don't care if you vote Republican. I'm trying to save your souls. I'm not a Republican. I don't trust the Republican Party to have Americans' backs. I'm a constitutional conservative, but there is no constitutional conservative party. So I'm not telling you these things to endorse the Republican Party. Again, I'm trying to save your satanic Democrat souls. If you're a Democrat, you're selling your soul to Satan. By voting Democrat, you're promoting everything Satan does but God is against. The nation's in dire trouble. We've allowed the Democrats to push God out of our society and culture for so long that he's been replaced by every imaginable evil. Now, bad Catholic Joe Biden and this Democrat Congress has brought America to the brink of destruction. No foreign national leader respects us, and I expect we'll be fighting Russia or China within two years. We're having to live with runaway inflation because of the Biden administration policies and the demonic Democrat Congress's reckless spending. Thanks to both, parents who protest the evils being taught in public schools, evils we finance, are considered domestic terrorists by the FBI. Speaking of the FBI, Biden is using them as his Gestapo. They've even formed a special task force to do nothing but arrest pro-life leaders and conservatives. I was even visited by the FBI myself in early September. Anyway, if you want to save America and your own soul, do not vote Democrat. All Catholics are morally obligated to vote, but all Catholics are also morally obligated not to vote Democrat. Oh, you'll find priests and bishops who tell you I'm wrong, but they're lying to you. So you have a choice. Vote Democrat and condemn your soul, or don't vote Democrat and save your soul. Do you like to write? Would you like to learn to write? What if I told you that anyone can learn to write and build a six-figure income as a result? I'm talking about copywriting. The sales letters you've read, the radio and TV commercials that you hear and see, and virtually everything you see online from asking for donations to selling things was written by a copywriter. And those jobs pay big. The American Writers and Artists Institute, or AWAI, will teach you everything you need to know to be a highly paid copywriter. Then after you've completed their comprehensive course, AWAI will even help you get your first high-paying client. And this is a perfect career for stay-at-home moms because you can work at your leisure from your internet-connected devices from anywhere in the world. Learn more by clicking the link in my show notes that says American Writers and Artists Institute. Do it today.
0: It's time for The Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now, here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the every Catholic guy.
1: Hello, Six Pack Warriors. Here we are again with Bishop Joseph Strickland of the Diocese of Tyler in Texas. How are you today, Excellency?
2: Good, Joe. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm fine. Uh, And I appreciate you asking. I always like to get asked if I'm doing well. (laughs) Uh, Excellency Joan asks, does, in fact, I'm going to have some commentary myself and ask a question myself, uh, because this is a very good question. Joan asks, does or should a catechism have an imprimatur to be accepted and used by a Catholic? Thank you for considering this question. Uh, so what about it? Imprimatur.
2: Yes, it, it should have an imprimatur is basically a, an official um, statement from a bishop that this is accurate Catholic teaching. Um, we have the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which should be, For any developed catechism in a diocese or for a certain population segment, I know there's one for teens. But the the starting point should always be the official catechism of the Catholic Church promulgated by Rome under uh, Pope St. John Paul II in the 90s. Um, And that should always be the reference point. And so an imprimatur is, is fairly easy in that context. Basically, any catechism that's developed, and there are various ones, but they should always use that as the starting point, and then it makes it easy for a bishop to just make sure it corresponds with what the universal catechism says, and maybe it's just dealing with specific elements for a certain age group or a certain kind of
1: focus for teachers or whatever. Okay, that's that. That is exactly the answer I expected. Canon law says that an imprimatur must either be acquired from the diocese where the writer is or from the diocese where it is published. Correct. In my case, that is one and the same. I have a very popular catechism called Secrets of the Catholic Faith and it does not have an imprimatur. I have been trying to get an imprimatur out of this archdiocese for years, and I can't get anything but sideways talk. So if it was to be published, I had to go ahead and do it. What advice would you give me on that?
2: Well, um, obviously... If you, as a faithful Catholic, are sure that it corresponds with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, then certainly an imprimatur gives you that extra seal of approval. But if you know that it does correspond to that, then it's not an absolute necessity. And obviously, you manage to get it published without the imprimatur. So certainly not everything gets an imprimatur. Sometimes a neo obstat is used which basically doesn't really certify the teaching, but just says there's no obstacle to this being published. A lot of times they're they're added together to, to certain books, but there are many books, um, catechisms or otherwise, that don't have an imprimatur, but are still sound teaching of the Catholic faith.
1: I am a consecrated Marian catechist under the direction of Cardinal Burke. So uh I've been very well trained i think i i think I can put out stuff that doesn't have any uh heresy in it, but it has always bothered me that I cannot get an they they don't even have anyone appointed in this archdiocese to take care of that
2: yeah.
1: uh it's it's terrible, and that's been under two different bishops so Okay, uh, Peter asks, oh, this is a good one, uh, goaded by the repeal of a woman's right to exterminate her own child in the womb, the rad left has been attacking Catholic churches. The ecclesial response has been to enjoin the faithful to pray and to forgive. But should we also protect the churches, maybe with an organized Catholic militia of men, who are physically prepared to repel the desecrators? Of course, we did that in nineteenth and early twentieth century here in this country, particularly in Philadelphia. Uh, he asks a good question, there, Excellency.
2: Well, um, I've heard of a lot of in a, in our diocese and in other places in the the wake of the, the Roe reversal. Um, Security issues have been uh, addressed uh, more significantly than before. Uh, certainly, um, the churches have a certain obligation and a right to to provide security when when it becomes uh, obviously necessary. Thankfully, it it hasn't really been an issue in our area, but um, certainly the church has. Not just the right, but I believe the obligation to see that things are, are not desecrated, that things are are kept secure. And uh, I mean, even here in the, the rather small town of Tyler, we, um, we have security at our cathedral at all the masses just for the sake of, of peace and safety. And it you know a lot of times those act as a deterrent, If people know that there's security there, it tends to sort of tamp down any uh, wild thought of of doing something um, bad and violent to that facility or to those individuals.
1: Thank you. Chuck has an aching Catholic heart. It's obvious in this question. He asked... We had a rosary prayer service on the 25th of June, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, honoring the Sacred Heart of Jesus. At the end of the rosary, we recited the Litany of the Sacred Heart. The result was a feeling that this was an anointed moment. Uh, Where have all the good practices gone?
2: Well, um, what I would respond to that question, thankfully, there are many good practices still in place. And as we see, and just even in the Catholic world, we tend to hear the bad news. Um, and often the good news isn't as highlighted, but there are many efforts of, of rosaries, of novenas, of all kinds of, of good Catholic practices that I see, certainly here in the diocese. Many of them inspired and run by laity. I, I certainly encourage that. And uh, and I've, I've actually called for, like we're having at the beginning of October, um, from October 1 to October 7th, we're having a, a, a rosary, um, not crusade, but uh, um, Congress, a rosary Congress that many dioceses are doing. So the, the question raises the need for all of us to, to treasure those practices and to bring them into our own families, into our own lives, into our parishes. And thankfully, I see a lot of that happening. Um, certainly, there are, there, there's bad news out there, and we have to pay attention to that as well and, and clearly and joyfully um, and vigorously share the truth but also we do need to, to highlight the good things that are happening.
1: Okay, thank you, Excellency. I I typically advise people like Chuck, uh, you know, if the good practices aren't there, the uh, whose fault is that? You know, go to your priest, go to your bishop, suggest these things and ask for them. Uh, my experience has been that Nearly every priest I've ever talked to is very accommodating in this regard. Yeah. Uh, Thomas asks, <laughs> you're going to love it, when should a priest deny communion to a person?
2: Well, um, I'm, I'm, I like the way they put that question, because we need to remember the teaching of the church applies to every person. It's not this group or that group or this important individual or this in worldly terms, this not important individual. Every person, the same basic moral teachings, the sacramental teachings apply to all of us. And so a priest should deny communion to someone who clearly denies the faith um, and is not willing to repent of that denial. and. Uh, so really, uh, I think that's the simply the answer. If if that person is known to deny the faith, and you know that can happen in pastoral situations, uh, I'm sure that in many cases, you know, a priest in a large parish or a bishop in a diocese, you may not know the 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 situation of that individual coming forward, but if a priest does know and is aware that this person, you know, maybe they run an abortion clinic, you know, just a very classic example. You, they're known in the town, and they just had a big fundraiser for their abortion clinic, and then they show up in the communion line. Certainly, I'm always respecting the, the, that that's a child of God, even with the evil they may be doing, they're beloved of God. And so we treat them with that respect of another child of God. But the greatest respect is to tell that person, if you have the opportunity, certainly pastorally before they get in the communion line, but it's to let that person know that they, it's not appropriate for them to receive communion. And if, you know, if they don't accept that, then the pastor or priest is, faced with with denying communion to that person uh, honestly in my 37 years as a priest I've never confronted that kind of situation I have confronted situations where people needed to be told and in my experience for the most part when people are told clearly and um, compassionately not attacking but simply saying you're not living up to communion with the church therefore it's not appropriate for you to be receiving the body of Christ. In my experience, people respond to that because um, frankly uh, people that are most of the time people uh, they may you know do it for political reasons or for other uh, reasons that really have nothing to do with faith. but if they're just simply people in the community, If you're coming forward to communion and the priest tells you it's not appropriate to receive, um, in my experience, the people respond to that because, you know, they're genuinely maybe ignorant of of some of the teachings of the church. Um, If they're coming to communion with some sort of a, a militant agenda, you know, that in itself makes it inappropriate until they get more right with the church they're not really in communion spiritually and receiving the body of Christ when they're not in communion spiritually is not appropriate. It's not, it's not good for them or for the church.
1: You know, I, I'm like most other uh, devout Catholics, <laughs> practicing Catholics, in that I uh, get upset that Canon 915 is not invoked enough. Whenever the language in it is clearly mandatory, it doesn't give a bishop a choice, he has to do it. And yet, on the other hand, I've tried to put myself in your shoes. That would be a very difficult thing. Whenever you're not used to uh, uh, confronting people, it's it would be a very difficult thing to do. I have uh Compassion for the bishops who uh, shy away from it, but that doesn't make them right. (laughs) Excellency, thank you very much for being here again this week. Uh, I guess we'll see you next week, okay?
2: Okay, thanks, Joe.
1: You might want to sit down for this one. I'm going to stop asking you for gifts to support this show and begin asking you to help me get more listeners to the Cantankerous Catholic. It won't cost you anything except a few minutes of your time. The more reviews the Cantankerous Catholic gets, the more often it's displayed by the podcast aggregators when people are looking for new podcasts. Occasionally, this might cause the Cantankerous Catholic to get attention from podcast magazine, the industry's trade magazine. So click on the link in my show notes that says Rank and Review the Cantankerous Catholic," so more Catholics can join us. Then write a short review. Doesn't cost you anything and doesn't make me anything. It just gets more listeners for the Cantankerous Catholic and makes the USCCB livid. That's a good thing.
0: now here's Joe Sixpack.
1: One day about a half a lifetime ago, my five-year-old son was helping me perform regular maintenance on the fishing boat motor in the garage. He was handing daddy tools and asking tons of questions as five-year-old boys do. Preparing to put in new spark plugs, I took the old ones out of the motor and dropped them into the pan on the floor. He asked, Daddy, what are those things? They're spark plugs, son. What do they do? How on earth do you explain the workings of an internal combustion engine to a five-year-old? So for the sake of simplicity, I replied, they make the motor go. He picked up one of the old spark plugs and stood looking at it for a while in deep thought. Then he suddenly said, thanks, Dad. See you later and off he went, anxious to embark on some new adventure with a used U-Spark plug in his hand. I had no idea what he had in mind, but I was certain I'd find out soon enough. Later, as I washed my hands at the kitchen sink, I looked out the window into the backyard to see a funny and potentially disastrous event unfolding. My son had taken a very large box out of the basement and managed to somehow put wings on its sides and a propeller on its front, something I'd assume was a labor that had taken him many days to make. But now he had his airplane on top of the slide on the boy's swing set. Using a contortionous agility, he somehow managed to get into the airplane and sit down. Then he took the spark plug and pushed it into a hole he'd made on the box. Finally, my son began to rock the box to make it go down the slide. But rather than go forward down the slide, the box tumbled over sideways, my son and his homemade airplane fell to the ground, ending the inaugural flight with a crash. I darted for the back door to get to my son as quickly as possible, fearful that he'd hurt himself badly. By the time I got outside, my son was standing next to his crashed airplane and crying. "'Recognizing he wasn't hurt, I walked more slowly to check on him, "'because I could tell his tears were the kind shed from anger and frustration rather than pain. "'As I walked up behind him, my son kicked his homemade airplane. "'Coming up behind him without him realizing it, he was startled when I asked, "'What's the matter, son?' "'I couldn't get my airplane to fly.' "'Well, what made you think you could get it to fly in the first place?' Picking up the old spark plug, he said, You said this makes the boat go, so I thought it would make my airplane fly just a little bit. Suppressing my laughter, I then tried to explain, in the best five-year-old language I could muster, just how the spark plug works and why it couldn't make his plane fly. Then, with a look of stubborn determination, he said, I'm going to make this plane fly, Dad. You just watch and see. I both admired and respected my son's dogged determination and willingness to be undaunted by failures. All my son's lives have been marked by this sort of determination, learning from their failures rather than letting those failures immobilize them. We all face failure in life, and some of us pick ourselves up and keep right on plugging ahead in an attempt to achieve our goals. Unfortunately, most of us give up in the face of failures we tell ourselves that we're not capable of achieving that particular thing. When we give up, we not only sell ourselves short, but we also sell God short. An old maxim, one I adopted as a very young man, says, Whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, he can achieve. God gave you your mind, a mind capable of conceiving great things. If you believe you can do a thing, then you can, but with God's help. To give up is to say to yourself that you are somehow inferior, as well as to tell God that He made you so. Therefore, it's our responsibility to do whatever it takes to achieve what we believe. In no place is this more true and important than our holy and ancient faith. Do we believe in God? Most certainly we do. If we believe in God, then we must also by extension believe in what He tells us to do and how to live. When you bring a child into the world, you start that child off in life by teaching him the difference between right and wrong, what to do to perform and live as you expect him to. He faces difficulties in learning these things, and you sometimes have to help him believe what you are teaching him with discipline and hard learned lessons. Then, as he grows into adolescence, on the precipice of adulthood, you help him to perfect his forming maturity so he can become the adult he should be. God treats us the same way. After all, we're his children. He begins by telling us not to sin. Do we believe God when he tells us not to sin? Well, yes and no. We believe in the consequences he's laid out for us if we sin, but we tend to think he's expecting the impossible from us. But avoiding sin isn't impossible. Indeed, it's very possible. We know this because he gives us a clear picture on how we're to become as we reach spiritual adolescence on the precipice of spiritual adulthood by telling us we must become saints, as he did in Matthew 5.48. Just as your child can't make it into a productive adulthood without your help, neither can you obey God in avoiding sin and becoming a saint without his help. He doesn't set the bar too high. After all, he created us and knows exactly what we're capable of accomplishing. We set the bar too low. My son was determined to make his airplane fly, and he proved it by risking injury to make it happen, then informed me with that same spirit of determination that he would indeed eventually fly that plane. Likewise, you must commit yourself to take God at his word and believe you can avoid sin. It takes a lifetime to do this because spiritual adulthood is only achieved at death. So commit yourself to avoiding sin, both mortal and venial. Learn to have a horror of sin, because failure means being forever doomed to remain a spiritually recalcitrant child. Work hard at becoming a saint. Believing the bar God has set for you isn't too high. When you fail, stand up and keep moving forward. Tell God you're sorry for failure, especially in the confessional, then resolve to do better the next time. Remember that you can't do this alone. It requires help from Abba, which is to say, Daddy. You can avoid sin. You can become a saint. Got a business or an apostolate? Why not consider advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic? I'll give you nine reasons why you should. One, 82.4% of podcast listeners spend more than seven hours per week listening to podcasts. Two, 54% of listeners are more likely to buy something advertised on a podcast because they like and trust the host. Three, podcasts are proven to get more ad results to highly refined targeted audience. The smaller audiences on podcasts buy more than the largest audiences on terrestrial radio or television. Four, our listeners' annual household income is $75,000 or higher. Five, 49% of Americans listen to podcasts monthly. Six, 55% of Americans listen to podcasts. Seven, three out of four listeners listen to learn new things, ideal for advertisers. Eight, 82.4% of podcast listeners spend more than seven hours per week listening to podcasts. Nine, advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic helps support a completely orthodox apostolate poised to help instigate a Catholic revival and one's coming. Over 81% of our more than 70,000 listeners are right here in America. We're listened to in all 50 states and tens of thousands of cities and towns. Advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic costs far less than you might think. I'm not trying to make a living, but only keep this apostolate alive, and you'd be helping with that. So reach out to me today at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com, and let's talk about it. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week, we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Francis de Sales. He said, The greatest method of praying is to pray the rosary. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Nineveh was a proud and mighty city. Jonah was sent by God to warn the king and the people that a divine punishment was coming to Nineveh because of their many sins. Go to Nineveh, that proud capital, that great city, and preach in it because their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah was afraid to go because he knew he'd be put to death as a false prophet. He tried to escape by embarking on a ship. A violent storm arose. The ship's captain asked him what to do, and Jonah said, Throw me overboard, and the sea will become calm, because I know that God caused the storm because of me. The sea became calm after Jonah was thrown overboard. He disappeared, but after three days he was cast ashore by a whale. A second time the voice of God spoke, Arise, go to Nineveh, and preach in it what I told you. Jonah began to preach, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be no more. The proud monarch of the Assyrians came down from his throne, took off his robes, and clothed himself in sackcloth and ashes. The king's example was followed by the people. A fast was proclaimed, and everyone wore sackcloth. Seeing this, God had pity on the people. He didn't destroy Nineveh. In both the Old and New Testaments, fasting is recognized as a form of penance pleasing to God. You've sinned, therefore you must do penance for your sins by denying yourself food during certain times of the year. If you're proud and refuse to do penance, God will be forced to punish you, because He's just. By fasting and doing other penances, you win God's mercy and forgiveness. This has been
0: The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.